0: Welcome to the Behavioral Groups Podcast. My name is Kurt Nelson. And I'm Tim Houlihan. We interview interesting people in order to unlock insights into behavioral science and how we can apply them to work and life. This episode is sponsored by The Lantern Group, a behavioral design and communication agency focused on helping global 1,000 firms with their employee-based issues. Working on everything from helping companies improve their safety initiatives to driving more sales motivation to increasing patient adherence. All by applying BS insights. What? What, what was That's that? That's behavioral science insights. For those you want to know, <laughs> it's also brought to you by to you by Behavior Alchemy, applying the lens of behavioral science to better answer the question: Why do we do what we do? These two firms are all-star partners in assisting your company with optimizing its teamwork, training, and communication.
1: In this episode and in the next, we vary from our regular podcast approach. The podcast you're listening to right now is part one of a two-part podcast. Our interview with Rob Burnett, founder of Well-Told Story in Nairobi, Kenya, went so well and so long that we decided
0: to break it into two (laughs) separate podcasts. In part one, we tee up the work that Rob did with the Ford Foundation and leading into the creation of Shu Jazz, a Nairobi-based graphic novel or comic book. Shu Jazz means hero in Shang, the slang spoken by Kenyan youth. Rob shared the challenge he and his team faced in creating ways to improve the lives of largely disenfranchised population of teenagers in a country where poverty and corruption run high. Shu Jazz, the hero, was their mythical creation to inspire healthier living.
1: Yeah, it's a wonderful story. And we end part one of our podcast with the true tale of Winnie, a teenager hustling her own path to becoming bulletproof, Mm. a term that's used to signify that she's practicing safe sex and has a foot firmly
0: planted on the ladder of success. Part two dives deeper into well-told story and expands the narrative into the dynamic of a market where only 10% of the 1.3 million Kenyans who enter the job market each year will go to work for a conventional employer with a conventional salaried position. Everybody needs to hustle in Kenya. Our guest is bent on changing the world one Winnie at a time. Yeah. A special musical note on these two episodes. In addition to the theme music that we include on every podcast composed and performed by our very own Tim Houlihan, Ta-da! we are featuring the Jazz theme music called The Hustler. And it comes to us with very special permission from a well-told story and is a wonderful, wonderful musical interlude. Cool cool stuff. So whether you're commuting to work, you're working out, or you're
1: out for a walk, we hope you enjoyed this first part of the two-part Behavioral Grooves interview. If you like what you hear, please check out our new Behavioral Grooves website at www.behavioralgrooves.com. We've launched the site to keep you advised of our latest work and to get your feedback and give us a good rating from your favorite podcatcher. You know, even though we're listened to in 54 countries, we still want your support on the podcast. We want to feel your podcast love. So
0: (laughs) So let us know how we're doing.
1: (laughs) And right now, please enjoy part one of our discussion with Rob Burnett.
0: There's a new boy in town. To teaching is he a doctor? No. One, I, I mean, is he tall enough? No. Mimi Lamilox of Kenyan looks. Is he a majesty? Ray no. hey, Kiziana, what's up? No. Jim and Lako Ni. Vimmy no. 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 DJ B. Nakuletta no. 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 Shuja's radio show. No. Love, Love and hassle.
1: Yeah, yo, come on. Do it. Welcome Rob Burnett to the Behavioral Groove's virtual studio today welcome. Hi, thanks for joining us. We are, uh, we are excited to have you here and, uh, all the way from Kenya and, uh, talking about, uh, the persuasion, the world of persuasion and, uh, seeing how that applies in a whole variety of things, uh, including branding and, uh, and nonprofits as, as well. So, um, so welcome, and, uh, and thanks for your time today. We're going to start with a little speed round. And
0: uh, so, Kurt, would you like to get started with the speed round for Rob? I, I would love to start. So, Rob, uh, if you had to pick between being a lumberjack and being a salmon fisherman, what would you pick?
1: Salmon fisherman the whole way. Michelangelo or Monet? Michelangelo.
0: Riding a bus from Alaska to Boston or hitchhiking all the way?
2: Hitchhiking, come
0: on. So Rob, actually, you you hitchhiked from Alaska to Boston, back in uh, some youth of your your life. You want to just a couple words about that? <laughs> so then, I'll tell you the trick to
2: hitchhiking in uh, back in the, back in the day. I'm talking about '92. I think I did it. Uh, was to, we my friend and I we had our we had those sleeping mats, those incredibly thin and uncomfortable sleeping mats. Yes. And we would write on the map, we would write the name of the next town. <sighs> uh, and the theory was then that if some psychopath picked us up hitching, then we could just alight at the next town. Thank you very much. So if, <laughs> but if it turned out that they were agreeable, then we could say, well, actually, we're not going to the next town. We're not going to Haynes Junction or Ketchikan. We're actually going to, you know, uh, Seattle or, you know, Minnesota. And yeah. uh, so that was our trick. And we started off in in, in Haynes Junction, I think, which is in Alaska. And we, we finally got out in Boston. Uh, many, many, and we run out of mat. You know, that we kept rolling. <laughs> I don't know where that mat is. It would be a piece of fabulous uh, personal history now if I still had it with all those different names of the towns we went to. And, uh, and we had a couple of psychos pick us up. But on the whole, we met wonderful people who gave us extraordinary uh, hospitality.
0: And so, I'm sure there's probably some wonderful stories from that. It, it's interesting. You, we, we're we're going to talk about persuasion and some other things today, but th- there's probably something to be said about saying, having somebody pick you up because they, they're they probably thinking the same thing. Oh, they, if they were psycho. I only have to bring them that mile or two down the road.
2: There you have it. I hadn't thought of it in those ways, but absolutely, that's what was going on. This was our our, our risk reduction or risk mitigation strategy for both sides. <laughs>
1: Uh, brilliant. I mean, the
2: other yeah. thing was that my friend hid in the bushes, so that uh, <laughs> only one of them was visible as the hitchy. you know, the. Uh, and then, as soon as the car slowed down, the other guy would leap out and, and uh, start pushing his bag into the back of the pickup.
1: Wow! Wow! Uh, how uh, did you happen to count how many rides you went through? So, mm-hmm.
2: No, no, but it was, I mean, beyond count. We yeah. had a couple of, we had a couple for like three days, you know. We. Uh, we ended up in um, we ended up in a town called Sturgis, Sturgis, North Carolina, at the same time that the world's biggest
1: motorcycle rally. <laughs> <in South Dakota. laughs> the, Harley, the Harley Davidson out. National International Conference in Sturgis, South Dakota, actually. Uh-huh. Yeah, South Dakota. Yeah, right. So but that oh. we were there.
2: We were there and it was the 50th anniversary. And there was something like it was. It was front page of the New York Times, 750,000 motorbikes, plus me, plus my friend Pip. And, uh, and we were the only ones who didn't have plaited beards. You know? <laughs> it was, that was extraordinary. I, I still have some photographs of that. Mount Rushmore, you know, over an ocean of Harleys. Magnificent. Wow. All you wanted to do was kick the first one and watch them all go down like dominoes and then die. <laughs>
1: yes, then which would be a death sentence for the person who, who did that. Exactly. Um, so how did, how did persuasion, uh, did, were you a fan of persuasion of, uh, and persuading people to do things before you set off on this adventure?
2: Nope. I don't think so. I mean, probably I was, but I didn't know it yet. Mm. Um, I think I've always quite enjoyed being a salesman. So, uh, and I think, I, you know, I've done that along the way. I didn't have to do that much in Alaska, cutting trees down. But on the whole... Yeah. Uh, that's something I've always enjoyed, but now it's a business. Uh, now it's the thing I do, but, uh, yeah, I came into it a bit later in life, I would say.
0: So, so Rob, why don't you tell us a little bit about well-told story and then shoe jazz, right? Did I pronounce that, that correctly? Tell us a little bit about what your purpose is, what you're trying to do. Uh, cause it sounds fascinating.
2: Oh, thank you. I'll, I'll go back one step beyond that because, um, uh, so I'm sitting in Nairobi right now. I've lived here for the last 25 years. and um, and the, the thing I was doing before the thing I do today was I, I worked for a big American philanthropy called the Ford Foundation. Yeah. Uh, and they have, they have an office in Nairobi. It serves uh, Eastern Africa. And I was their media arts and culture guy uh, funding projects in, in the region and looking at arts and culture as a vehicle for democracy and for tolerance and for civic uh, debate and, uh, and so on. And, and I got involved in the media at that point, and I, I funded a lot of TV, I funded a lot of radio with, with Ford Foundation grant money. Um, and we, we were very sick pop media. And, and the thinking that we applied at the time was, how do we give local people a chance to be in the media? You know, in, back in the day when you switch on the television in Kenya, you don't get Kenyans, you get Americans or Latin Americans or Europeans or, you know, Mexican soap. That's the kind of stuff that's on TV here. So it was like, well, shouldn't we ring fence some piece of the television world for us, you know, for local voices? So it came around the same time that digital TV was becoming very inexpensive. You, know, you could shoot stuff very simply and cheaply. You could edit on your laptop. So it's becoming more and more accessible. And so we suddenly found we had three, four, five million people watching TV shows that we were producing um, because we were making local content and, and we were doing it relatively well and we were telling local stories and we were giving local people a chance to be the face of media. So, so after a while, I, I, I kind of got frustrated that, while we were doing this, we were still labouring as the Ford Foundation to address other big issues. So we were talking about uh, reproductive health or environment or uh, uh, governance and democracy. And, and yet the things we were trying to achieve all of them would only be achieved once we had millions of people changing the way they thought and the way they acted around these key issues. And yet we were not at that stage harnessing the power of media in an effective way to advance those goals. So at a certain point, I, uh, I, 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 I quit my job at the Ford Foundation. And, and after a while, I set up this thing, well-told story that I'm, I'm, I'm leading today. Um, And it was really about that to say, well, how do we make a big conversation happen about important? And at that stage, agnostic about the channels, just saying, can we cause a conversation to come together around really key ideas that if we don't tackle them, if we don't build a fresh consensus, we're not going
1: to make the change that we know to
2: be important happen. Were there specific
1: um, topics that you were interested in the, with regard to these conversations? Were there specific things that you thought, these are some of the ones that interest me the most and uh, that are, were engaging you? Great question. So, so around that same
2: time, something cataclysmic happened in Kenya, which was the election of late 2007, early 2008 went wrong. And for the first time, Kenya rocked on its foundations. Mm. And actually it came quite close to civil war. So Kenya was suddenly split down the middle, mostly by cynical acts, by cynical politicians. Um, but as a consequence, half of Kenya pretty much went to war with the other half. And and the battleground was filled with youth. It were young it was young, out of school, unemployed young people who were mustered by leaders, political leaders, and set upon one another to achieve the personal political gain of a few cynical leaders. And so in the end, the former head of the UN, Kofi Annan, kind of parachuted in uh, this group of sort of significant African states people the, called the Elders. They brokered a peace. It took about okay. three or four months and it was, a, it was an awful time to be in Kenya, there was a terrible standoff, while well, the whole country was kind of waiting to see whether it would collapse or whether peace would be brought back. And so peace was found. But in the aftermath of that, it became clear that the challenge, one of Kenya's biggest challenges was young people. This enormous and extremely rapidly growing demographic of under 20s or under 25s who are out of school, who haven't got into further education, who aren't finding employment, and who are having to make their own way, and who are not served by formal information systems. So these are people who are not in school, who aren't in college. So how are they learning? How are they getting ideas? How are they getting information? Um, At a time when the the media in Kenya, as in most of Sub-Saharan Africa, is entirely private sector. So there is no public service media. All of the radio and the TV is chasing middle class people who have money that advertisers want to, to access. So the media does a very poor job in Africa for the poor. It chases people with cash. So, and thirdly, it's not as if there are no opportunities for young people. I've been working with the Ford Foundation. We were doing all kinds of inspiring things. There were fantastic opportunities in livelihoods and agriculture and innovation here and there. But how come none of these? things were going to scale. So actually the birth of this project that I now lead was, was out of all of that. It was this sense that there was an opportunity to make huge conversations happen and there were, the technology was available. And there was this urgent need, which was a vast and rapidly growing neglected youth population upon whom the future of Kenya and the region stands, who need inspiration. They need opportunity, they need skills, and they need motivation. And actually, can we put all of those things into a media experience that can build the positive energy which is there into new initiatives, into positive change, into agency, and into development? And, and that's what we've been doing.
1: Kurt, you're on mute right now.
0: When you say media, um, you need to actually have your your mic on in order to say that, that, that comes across. Um, it helps. It helps. <laughs> but you were talking earlier about being almost agnostic over the channel. So you're looking at a wide variety of media. Help us understand what, what you've done then subsequent. So you started this focusing on youth, obviously, all the issues that you had in Kenya back then what was what was the process for moving forward then in bringing some of that media attention to that poor population and what were you trying to accomplish
2: so so we, we called the business well told story so we have a kind of faith a belief in the power of a good story to get people's attention and to cut through the noise and i think we've all experienced that you know the great teacher that we had Was the storyteller and and we all know the difference between a story told well and a story told badly and the fact that a good story you don't only connect with it rationally you connect with it emotionally and i think so to begin with the 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 first point in this journey was to say well let's have faith in the power of the story to be transformational let's lead with a story and then we'll deliver the story on whatever platforms we can find, which are going to connect to the people we care about. So, so the story we wrote is the story of a, of a DJ of a pirate DJ. And he's a 19 year old kid who left school last year. He didn't get into college and he hasn't got a job, but he has a secret. He's built a pirate radio station in his bedroom and he's able to hack into the frequencies of any radio station he likes with his radio show. And his show is called Shujaz FM. and it's a, Shujaz means heroes in Sheng, which is the slang spoken by Kenyan youth. So Heroes FM is a call out to young people. Don't wait. Good stuff is not coming. If you've got something that's working for you, you need to share it. You need to tell me the DJ, and I'm going to tell everybody else. And by this per process, we will share the good ideas that are making young people prosper
1: in our country. That's so we tr- tell. So yeah, no, no, keep keep going, keep keep expanding.
2: So so we've created a DJ character, and then the other main characters in his world are listeners to his show, and there's a beautiful girl from the urban slum and as a energetic football playing kid from the village. And as a girl, 14 year old girl from the coast and each of them has a mom and a dad and a boyfriend or a girlfriend, a big brother, big sister, an evil uncle, a corrupt local chief. And each of them basically has an adventure every month and they, they call it in to the DJ and the DJ talks about it. But, but what we discovered on, Literally on day one, the day the story went live, is that real young Kenyans called their stories in. So, our original idea, which would be we'll create a soap opera and it'll be a way of teaching, of introducing new notions, was already kind of trumped on day one when we got an email. In fact, it was a text message. The law requires us as publishers to put our address and our phone number in our magazine in the comic book that is one of the ways we tell our story and some kids found that number and by 7 a.m on the first day of the first edition of our story <laughs> saying, hey dj i've got something share this around this is really working for me so last year djb got 2.5 million text messages he's running a I i mean it's 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 now a problem right because we get too many people writing with their ideas. But actually what we realize now with hindsight is that this device of a community of young people sharing ideas without the wagging finger of the adult world or even worse, the Western world coming and saying, I've got a good idea, try this young young people. But actually a way that we can surface important ideas that really matter in an authentic voice shared by young people with young people turns out to be an extremely powerful way of changing what guys are talking about what young people are thinking about and ultimately what they're doing so so that's the essence of the story and then we deliver it on multiple platforms so the thing we're very well known for here in East Africa is comic books and i am i am informed that we are the world's biggest publisher of comic books so we currently print about 1.3, 1.4 million copies a month of our little magazine, a three size 32 pages, colorful magazine. Oh, there's one right here on the table. So here's our, here's one, uh, that someone has left in the recording studio where I'm sitting. And, uh, so we print this, there's the DJ actually, there he is right there. That's DJB. Um, uh, so we, we produce this every month and we distribute it free across Kenya. And a separate edition looks the same, but it has different story, different language in Tanzania. Uh, In Kenya, okay, and and we distribute it. In Kenya these days, we have 3,000 young volunteers who receive a bundle of comics from us every month and give them to their networks. And they themselves are young people who, for example, run a pool table, or they have a video den, or they have a, a money kiosk, or they've got a cyber cafe. And they're in every town, every small town, every large village in the country. In Tanzania, we have the same process, but all of our distribution in Tanzania is done by Coca-Cola as part of an amazing collaboration we have with them. So by the same means, we get to everywhere in the country. Now, the DJ also has a radio show, right? I mean, he's got a pirate radio show in his bedroom. So, So we make that show actually in this studio where I'm sitting, the Kenyan show is made, and we syndicate it. So we're on the two biggest Swahili language, youth friendly radio stations in Kenya. And we're on about 18 other stations across the region where you can hear the DJ and you can call in and you can interact with him. Uh, And then, of course, social media is big. So um, our audience and our DJ and actually all of the characters in the story are online. um, So we operate... Uh, a number of Facebook pages. We have about 2 million, 2.5 million young people who interact with our characters online. We have a team of people who deal with that. Um, and then we run events and we make video and we have festivals. We shot a movie a couple of years ago uh, on a Nokia 1020 mobile phone. Um, it's had about 250,000 views on YouTube. But we also gave away 10,000 DVDs to the Video Dens that we know in Kenya, we're encouraging people to pirate it, encouraging people to view it. Um, we, so, so, so we tell this story across all of these platforms um, and we weave a monthly cycle of stories through the comic, through the radio and through the social media platforms, through the events, through the video. Um, it's a complicated process of creating one story on multiple platforms. Um, we have won two Emmy Awards for it so we're good at it uh, it turns out uh, we're the only people in africa to have won two emmys um and we've been you know we picked up a few other awards along the way so it turns out who knew you know we, we could do that because uh, i'm certainly not a media maker by profession and sometimes that's a good thing right um didn't know didn't know what we were doing wrong um so we just went ahead and did it uh and and in the process we picked up a big audience so in kenya we reach just over 50% of all 15 to 24s. That's the the latest number. So that gives us about 5 million, give or take, uh, regular followers of the brand here. And they're connecting with us on one or more platform. Uh, And then in Tanzania, where we're only three years old, I don't know this year's number, but it's somewhere around 30, 25, 30% of all the youth in Tanzania. Uh, are connecting with us on one or more of our platforms, and yeah,
1: that's 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 how it that's how it hangs together. That that is that that is terrific and, and inspiring. And and I, I, so you are you are telling the story. You are creating the story. So there's got to be some editorial, right? There there is some there is uh, there is some messaging. In this right because this is right. part of the point of it right mm. so mm. how do you so how do you craft the message mm. that is both uh, reflective and engaging to the mm. audience and uh, certainly it's a ground swell it's a ground up uh, yep. kind of model uh, yep. without having too much editorial that feels like we have the wagging figure of the West coming in uh, or from outside mm.
2: correct so that is the magic right that's the key because there are, way, there are many people trying to convey messages. And in fact, we don't even speak about messages here. Um, it's not about one-way traffic. What we do is we surface conversations. And we're very, very clear about this um, after several years of thinking hard about it and trying to understand what works. And increasingly now using data that we're collecting all along the process to inform our understanding of how change happens and how our media can cause that change or encourage that change to happen. So we can talk about that in a minute. Um, So essentially we work on big complex problems that we know our audience cares about. So to our clients, and they're ultimately the people who pay our bills, we say, we are our mission as an organization is to create social and economic value for young people in east africa that's our mission to our audience we say we're gonna we're gonna give you more sex more money more fun that's the promise that's our brand promise more sex more money more fun and it turns out that they are the same things right social and economic value over here is more sex, more money, more fun over there. But, but actually the place where we've spent all of our time and energy is over here. More sex, more money, more fun. Because we know that if we can deliver those things, our audience will grow and grow and grow as it is doing. But at the same time, we have the attention and we have the, the empathy, the emotional engagement of our audience. Now, the challenge is to retain that while also addressing the big, difficult, knotty, thorny issues of our time so i can give you a couple of examples um please do so uh so one of the things we work on constantly is preventing teenagers from having babies they didn't intend so there's an enormous narrative behind that about well firstly because it's a significant problem in east africa i mean there's a very very high rate of teenage pregnancy um mostly unintended teenage pregnancy and then of course the statistics on the fortunes of young people who get pregnant particularly young girls and even their 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 boyfriends their husbands you know it's just it's never a good thing for a teenager to have a, an unintended pregnancy that they, they, they basically all of their life chances start to 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 move south when particularly young girls have a baby before they are 20 before they're 22 before they've planned it so it's a subject that we've worked a lot on. Now, so here's a conundrum: Contraception, certainly free condoms, are available, probably from 10 places within a five-minute walk of my office. Wow. They are there. Opportunity exists. Access is there. And that's more or less, and Kenya's got it figured out, Att- distribution is there, mostly even free if you want them free, right? So that's the f- it's, like, it's a long time since we needed to put a condom on a banana you know people know how to use condoms so it's not lack of ability that's preventing people from using them and it's not lack of a lack of access that's pre- so what the heck's going on right why have we got enormous out of control teenage pregnancy and clearly young people saying i didn't want this to happen but it's happened there's something else the problem is not knowledge it's not access it's you can't solve that problem by yelling get the condoms over here (laughs) there's something else it's something about there's something going on in the minds of our audience that we have to attend to if we're going to be able to fix that so so it's interesting that uh, a lot of conversations that we have with a with a would-be partner begin with an assumption Young people don't know, and therefore they're not making a decision. So young people don't know that they're supposed to participate in county budget hearings. If only they knew, say the World Bank to us. If only they knew, you know, they'd be able to exercise their democratic rights. They'd come and drove. So we're going, well, maybe, maybe you're right. Let's dig into that a little bit. So then we send our research team, our knowledge and learning team out into the field to talk to some of our, of our audience, some of young people. And we go, well, guess what? It's not that they don't know. It's that they are saying, no way in a million years am I going to a county budget hearing. Wild horses will not get me to that county budget hearing. It's not lack of knowledge. There's actually there's an actual rejection of that behavior. And and contraception in this case feels not unlike that. There's an assumption from some agencies, some partners that we've spoken to, which says, if only these girls knew, if only these young men knew. So all we have to do is enlighten we have to send them a message, we have to bring them to enlightenment. If they knew what we knew, they would you and of course that's a massive simplification. It turns out they are extremely well-informed. They know a huge amount about contraception, and they've formed an opinion. And the opinion is, it's not for me. It could be for me later, you know, when I'm a bit older, when I'm a mum, you know, when I'm married, when I reach that stage, yeah, probably I will go and stand in the queue at the family planning clinic. But right now, age 16, you've got to be kidding me. You know, and then the reasons just stack up. What if my mum saw me? You know, I'm supposed to be a virgin, the girls from school, my reputation, I've got no time, it's too far. I mean, there's a million reasons why girls are saying it's not for me, it's not for me. Plus, actually, my life's not that good. Maybe a baby would make my life better. Maybe the guy who wants to sleep with me says he loves me. And maybe feeling love. And belonging is the thing I want Um, so so we've run a very interesting and actually it turns out very successful campaign on this and it was based on a couple of insights and so the first one came when we were in a pub in a town called Bomet which is four hours four long bumpy hours of driving from Nairobi So it's a provincial town and there's got one big hotel in the middle and we used that to run a couple of focus groups two or three years ago. And, And after the focus group had gone away and we were left there sitting, chatting to the manager of the place. And he told us along the way that he had 20 girls waitressing in his hotel, in his restaurant, pub, bar. And he reckoned that all of them were single and he thought that all of them had a baby at home. And it was like, oh my goodness, that is the thing we're here to try and figure out. So we said, okay, if it was your job to get the girls who work here onto contraception, how would you do it? We said, because that's our job. And he answered without hesitation. He said, easy, I'd promote them. We said, what do you mean you'd promote them? He said, well, as soon as she stops being a waitress, and now she's on the other side of the counter and she's serving the beers and she's writing receipts and she's taking money. When she becomes a cashier, you can be certain she's using contraception then. So in there is a, is a fantastic insight that actually it's not about access. It's not about knowledge. It's about the journey that that young person feels that they're on. There's a story that, that she's telling herself. And, and today her story is I'm at the bottom of the heap. I'm a waitress. If the customer says, Can, she, can he take me home? I'm going to say yes. If the customer says he loves me, I'm going to love him back. The day she steps to the other side of the counter, something invisible but profound has changed. Her foot is now on the bottom rung of a ladder that leads somewhere better. And the moment that she feels her foot is on that bottom rung, her, the, the story she's telling herself changes. She says, oh, wow, I'm on to something good. I'm going to keep doing this. And I'm going to protect tomorrow because I know that a baby tomorrow will interfere with this journey that I'm just starting out on.
1: This is so fabulous. Kurt and I have been talking about uh, self-identities uh, just in, in the literally in the past 48 hours. We, we've been traveling together, and uh, self-identities are such an important aspect of how we interpret the experiences that come into our lives, right? What's the I, lens that we're using,
0: right? And, and Rob, it's, it's very interesting because I've been taking notes, as you probably haven't seen me, Turning away here.
1: I've been fascinated, by the way, Kurt. I've been noticing you taking notes, and I've been loving it. You just look so good (laughs) taking notes
0: (laughs) because I don't normally do this, but it's fascinating. So I I know you're not a behavioral scientist, but when you're talking about all of these things that you're doing, bringing in story to connect on that emotional and not a rational level—that is, that's behavioral science. We know that change happens not. You can tell people rationally they should be doing things, but until there is this emotional connection, you are not going to get sustainable change, right? It, it's that, you know, because all then it of those... becomes
2: intrinsic, yes, and it shifts from extrinsic, the wagging finger, to intrinsic, which
0: is my own decision. And I want to do that, and you're telling a story, as, as Tim was saying, about the you know, getting people to think differently, and so all of a sudden. We have self-identity, self-schemas, but this idea of our future self now on a path mm. is a strong motivator for how do you get people, uh, all right, if I'm not on a path, why would I do the behaviors that are, you know, going to take me down it? Because I'm not even on it. Once I can see right. that there's a, a journey that I can get to whatever castle on the hill, now I want to take it Now
2: I'm, I'm that, that person. I've just yeah. become that person.
0: Exactly. So
2: I think we're shining a light, a little pool of light right in front of people's feet. And we're saying, come on, step, just step into the light. Step yeah. into that light. It's so easy. There's, there's nothing stopping you. So, so the insight from the barn bomet has led us to a whole, now we're into our third year of a, of a, of a campaign in our media, which essentially builds on that insight. And 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 it's constructed largely around role models. So it's to be able to say to young people, there's someone just like you who's already taken that step and look how easy it was. And their foot is on that bottom rung. In fact, they're climbing and actually there's little stopping you from becoming that person. Now, i read an interesting book this last year called uh hillbilly elegy by a guy called jd vance and it's a it's a story about growing up in in the american rust belt uh but he said he wrote something very interesting how no one in his community when he grew up in ohio rural ohio um middletown ohio that's the name of his city a town where the mill has closed right and uh No one in his community had ever succeeded. No one had, he didn't know anyone growing up who had worked their way out of their circumstances. Essentially, there were only a couple of ways that you could escape. One was you were born on the other side of the tracks. So by some fluke of of birth, you were born over there. The other way was God gave you some extraordinary talent for music or dance or performance or sports but essentially the only two ways that people could escape were god given the thought that you yourself through your own agency could change your circumstances this was not a narrative that people had within their sight and and so when i read that this last year i realized that that's actually fundamental to our approach which i hadn't seen until then this idea that actually by creating a a shared story at an enormous scale, which basically says, oh, look, here's a young person who's figured something out, probably a young person who wrote to the DJ to say, I'm doing this thing. Um, so, for example, we we ran a campaign a, a couple of years ago uh, about the six skills that you need to be an entrepreneur. So, and they were, it was rather simplistic. Uh, it was like how to decide on your business, how to write your business plan and so on. Um, And after and and towards the end of the campaign, it was six months, six skills, six editions of Shijaz, six stories in all the media. And at the end, we developed a game, a little bit like Lee. And we published it in the center spread of our comic book. And you could play it. And we encouraged you to play it. We had the characters in the story play it. We had them play it on radio, and we asked you to play it. And um, it was like how much to invest, how much to save, and so on. And very soon afterwards, we got a, a text message from a young person living on the outskirts of nairobi saying djb thank you so much my business has tripled we go wow that's great you know so somebody had the we were lucky to catch it you know we get so many text messages we don't all we don't see them all but someone saw this and rang the person back and she's a 21 year old girl she's migrated from rural kenya western kenya to the city circumstances tough leaves home leaves all those family ties that could support her she's living in the toughest part of the city and her her hustle when we talk a lot about hustling her hustle is that she sells hard boiled eggs to construction workers that's how she stays alive we call that a teaspoon hustle it's like entry level right she sells a tray of eggs per day now along comes our story and she plays the game and she tries it out and she goes wow if i make like a tomato pickle, tomato, onion, and chili. It's called kachambari, simple thing. If I make that in the morning and offer it together with the hard-boiled eggs, I triple my sales. I'm selling three trays of eggs, 75 eggs a day. My goodness, I've never seen so much money. Thank you, DJB. So so we send the DJ, well, we send an interviewer, because, of course, the DJ, between you and I, is not a real guy. Right correct actually yeah um so we send an interviewer to in, to meet her and she tells the story and she shows what she's doing and we video it and then we um we put her on TV later explaining how she's done it and then we have a radio phone in where you can hear her tell her story and you can ask questions and social media thing where you can you know live event on facebook you can ask her what she did and and then actually we made the game again and we distributed that second time a bit more elaborate but at the end of the interview that we had uh, in her home, the interviewer asked her, so, so Winnie, her name was Winnie, she said, so any kids? Any boyfriends? You know, any baby on the way? And she said, what? A baby now? That would, that would spoil everything. She said, I'm, I'm bulletproof, she said.
1: <laughs> that's, that's terrific
2: end of story right so I'm bulletproof from this beautiful girl who's got she's on the ladder she's explained how she's done it her story is back into the comic book again it's back into the social media it's now a, a photo story where she's explaining in fact what we do is we have a we draw the the cartoon Dj into the photographs so it's like he's interacting with her mm-hmm. and she's explaining it and it's now shifted from our story to her real fact it's gone from a comic book to being of a, a real story a real person and it turns out that for her to end with those words i'm bulletproof which basically by the way the colloquial meaning for that is that i have take i have an injectable contraception every 3 months and i insist on a condom so that's what bulletproof means to our audience i'm bulletproof wow. i'm not risking and uh, that turns out of course to be the most persuasive pro-youth contraception message we have ever developed and it's all about saying you can be her or you can be with her
0: you know, she is wonderful welcome to our grooving session where tim and i groove on what we learned from our behavioral grooves interview have a free-flowing discussion on some of those topics and whatever else comes into our craniums craniums that
1: totally threw me i'm not even ready for a discussion now (laughs) our
0: craniums
1: these things up here that sit on top of our neck such a scientific term wow (laughs) okay so so kurt part one this
0: is sort of the first rung on the ladder Mm -hmm. what did you think so it was fascinating so first off um just like David Hussman, I think Rob is an accidental behavioral scientist, totally. and we'll get into that totally. as we go on to here. Uh, but what the work that he's doing brings in a, a ton of behavioral science insights. But he's not necessarily focused on the behavioral science side of it. It's but he's just using doing it. he's using it yeah. because it works. So, right? so let's talk about some of those. Oh, I was going to oh. talk about the oh. you know oh, you Sturgis have... motorcycle. Route. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to talk about hitchhiking across from Alaska to Boston or wherever he went, and ending up in Sturgis. Uh, is I, now <gasps> if I had a story to tell my grandchildren, yeah. that would be one of those stories <laughs> that I would just. Love to have. (sighs) (sighs)
1: It just and and to think that it was just accidental that he just wanders
0: <laughs> into Sturgis while the motorcycle rally is going on. Yeah, he, he didn't even know what state it was in. It which, was, by the way, is,
1: it, calendar-wise, it happens to be coming up. It's it, from this from the, t- the the date that we're taping.
0: It's actually just a couple of weeks away, so yeah. it's on people's mind. And if you have never been, which I have never been, I've only uh, lived vicariously through others who have been. Yeah. It is supposed to be a fantastic and crazy. Uh, I mean. Thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands—you know—of people convene in their motorcycles and their Harleys under the small town in Sturgis, South Dakota. So Sturgis, yeah, wow. Um, so anyway, um, but he hitchhiked. <laughs> that was the other thing, and I loved the—you know—his component of how he talked about, "Hey, I'm going to just put the next town on our little mat, sleeping mat. That that's where we're going to, in case there's we get right." You know, picked up by a crazy guy, and I'm going, yeah. Then the crazy people picking you up also look, oh yeah. These people, I only have to bring them to the next town to the if next they're really town. crazy. So that,
1: that's kind of a little behavioral science thing. That's a little nudge. A isn't little it? nudge
0: of saying, yeah. yeah, it's okay. And then the other, you know, his friend, you know, hiding in the bushes. There you go. <laughs> so, what do you think about? What the work that he's doing, Tim? Well, it, uh, it
1: it reminds me of the East model that was developed by the uh, Insights team, the UK Insights team, mm-hmm. where they talk about East as this model of being easy, attractive, social, and timely. Right, and uh, it seems that well-told story has. Sort of orchestrated all of the shoe jazz uh, comic books around um, easy, you
0: know, uh, easy, attractive, social, and timely. Yeah, I mean they have they have the various different modalities. So they have the comic book, the radio station, the the, the social the, media, the TV, the, the social videos, media. Yeah. So it's easy to get. It's 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 widely distributed. The comic books are given away free, so it's easy to to come across these. Um, Uh, With that, I think it's also easy within the comic book when he was talking about some of the um, business lessons and the models that they had identified, and they actually just put that as a centerfold inside of the comic book. So you're reading the comic book, you're not looking to get a business uh, lesson on how to become a better business person, but it's right there, and it's easy to fill out and the messages
1: are attractive. And then there's the social side is so huge. Oh, it's yes. so huge in this and so powerful. I think it's a great lesson for us to take into the corporate world, to think that the social component of, of any kind of behavior change initiative is so deeply undervalued, in, uh, in, in at least in, in most global corporations that,
0: that you and I get to work with. Right, and, and the component where they're using social proof, right? The, the stories that they're telling are highlighting these people who have succeeded. or From the, within the
1: tribe. From within w- like, their like, tribe. Like I and know so you, I recognize
0: you. Oh, you're succeeding. You're wow. like me. So there's an element of self-identity that comes into this, the whole component of self-schemas and how you think about yourself. And you can now see for yourself that somebody just like me was able to, To overcome the situation that I have been stuck in and I might have felt like I literally was stuck in this situation but I can see that others have climbed out and have done these wonderful things and so that social proof that element of saying others just like me have done this um, I can do it myself. I also like the fact that uh, Rob tells the story of sitting in a pub
1: and uh, having a conversation with another Intellectual, for lack of mm-hmm. a better word, and the bartender pipes in and says, "I know how to solve that. <laughs> I can, I can figure that
0: out." Make, make them bartenders, right? Just, Don't just
1: give them a promotion. Yeah,
0: and magic happens. Yeah, magic and, happens at that. Point. And, and again, when you look at that, you look at that simple component, and you bring the behavioral science element into it. There's an emotional component that gets into uh, an element of hope, right? So. As a waitress, there isn't much hope because your ability to climb that social ladder, to have the income, that prestige, the, the all those things that come with being a waitress in Kenya versus being a bartender yeah. in, in Kenya. Um, and that slight difference is really powerful in being able to change somebody's self-identity, their viewpoint of the future giving them that hope of a better life and that hope that progress that they can map out now is really powerful and motivational perspective so this
1: is this says to me two things one is the 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 actual differences between a, a waitress and a bartender are highly environmental right Mm. that there's highly sensitive on an environmental level that in kenya is a really really big deal um in milwaukee maybe it's not such a big
0: deal right but (laughs) why are you picking on milwaukee uh, just because we were talking about (laughs)
1: Summerfest last time (laughs) (laughs) milwaukee is a beer town and yes there might be a big difference there 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 could be but but my, my point is that that um that within a corporation, if you're looking for, you have to look carefully at the culture of the organization to find out where where are those big jumps, where are the big leaps of going from one job title to the next is a meaningful and uh, is something that really conveys something to the to the community as well as to to the uh, person themselves. Well,
0: and it goes back to. Um the interview we did and I'm forgetting her name where we talked about the scope of influence. Um, oh, and that, where three, that was Silky, that was Silky, Silky Britain. Britain. There yeah. you go. Where Silky was talking about, you know, doing that, the, um, influence mapping within an organization Tremendous. and understanding who are those connectors, who are those individuals? And I think that's again, something that shoe jazz has kind of, done is they've they've tapped into some of those connectors within that Kenya tribe or community and they've gotten them on board and with that the the power of that is really really yeah. impactful so just to follow that east model out easy mm-hmm. a, uh, attractive you have a fun comic book you have social media totally you have an fm radio broadcast there's there's elements that in their young you know, it's that 19-year-old, you know, guy, the hero. Oh, the hero. Yeah. Uh, uh, uh,
1: timely. Timely. Uh, uh, and social, of course. We talked about social, but but it's also timely. I mean, this is they, they've got stuff going on all the time, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's not just, uh, you know, a quarterly periodical that comes out. Right. This is the kind of thing that they've got stuff being updated. And the, the team, uh, Rob didn't get into this specifically, but I've seen on his website, on Well-Told Stories' website the the folks who are working on this are right in the heart of the demographic that they're trying to reach. Yes. So they're not trying to be a uh, well-told story is not trying to be some, you know, old dudes, you know, shaking their finger at the young dudes. This is absolutely within
0: this is all within community, which I think is just terrific. So it's not us uh, it's not you or me trying to tell these kids, back in my day, uh, when I was young, <laughs> this is how we did it. That, that's right. Stay off my lawn. <laughs> that's
1: exactly it. So, no, I,
0: I think there's um, some really interesting insights that you could even take from that perspective and apply in to organizations, right? Mm-hmm. It's looking at um, who is... Making the decisions and who is communicating and who within the organization is running the show. And sometimes if there's this disconnect between senior leadership who is up here in this pedestal Mm -hmm. versus the rank and file employees who are down here. And if they feel that there's too much of a difference between those, then you have less likely influence on the decisions or the behaviors that come out from those edicts that come from down from on top of the mountain. And this is a common
1: misperception held among the senior leaders that they, A, understand, B, know how to communicate, and C, think that uh, the people who are th- tending to see these differences are really overvaluing it. Right, And that, that
0: really they should just stop doing that. It, and those
1: are three big misses as far as I'm
0: concerned. I agree. I think those are huge misses. Um, and, and I wonder, and this is just a brain fart right now, uh, but you look at many of the highly successful uh, tech companies that have been out in the past 15, 10 years, and you look at them and those were often led by people who are of a younger generation who have yeah. have fit into this new ethos. And so so they're creating organizations that have a different look and feel to they them. They are creating a different type of organization. They have a different sense of of, you know, uh, opportunity and understanding not only their employee base but potentially the market base that's out there. And so you wonder if in 10 or 15 years the leadership of that hasn't, you know, moved down in with the the way the rest of the world has moved and the demographics, are they still going to be able to maintain that? Or are they going to become the old guard and the stodgy back in my day we did it. That will be interesting to see. Has any generation escaped that
1: element of when they get older of having that sense of uh, endowment
0: that I know something that you don't know? Yeah. I'm sure there's individuals. You could probably pick out individuals. Um, But I I wonder across the board if that's going to happen.
1: That someday we'll see a 75-year-old Jeff Bezos, uh, you know, shaking his finger saying, if you just would have done it this way.
0: (laughs) Mark Zuckerberg. Mark
1: Zuckerberg eventually getting to a point where
0: he's like, well, if you just would have done it this way. Yeah, who knows? We'll see. All right. Anything else at this point? Uh, This part one of our two-part, Rob... Burn It series. No, I'm going to
1: hold off talking about music until the end of part two to try to get our <gasps> listeners into part two so they can get to the very tail end so that we can talk about music.
0: All right. Is that a great teaser? That is a great teaser. No, and really. I am smiling huge because... I didn't have anything prepped for a music conversation and I need to prep myself for those music conversations. So with that, everybody, thank you for listening and please tune in to part two of our series with Rob Burnett.